I mean, that was all the stuff that life stuff that happened yeah. after I stopped the fairy tale of being a ballerina and a tutu and a tiara, you know, it was like hmm. this sort of <laughs> yeah, hardcore, like, like this yeah. is reality. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's, it's literally like you took the, you took the tiara <laughs> off and then like the carriage turned back into a pumpkin. That's right. Welcome to Deeper Dish. What would you do if life was going just fine, perfect, and then everything started to go wrong? Who would you turn to? How would you recover? How would you turn it around? Today's guest, Valerie, gives us a look inside that journey. Hope you enjoy. The two of us, we met at City Hall. Yes. You were at City Hall. I think it was the Airbnb protest. Yes, it was. Well, it wasn't. I guess it, I guess it was a protest. It was a protest vote. It was a city council hearing. I read about it that day on my way in. My client was downtown, and I was like, hmm, this is, this is interesting. Let me go to City Hall and see what this is all about. What I wasn't expecting was, like, to have a 1,000 people there with signs and, and protests. And I thought it was just going to be some kind of, like, civil discussion. And it, and it still was civil, but it was a lot of people there. And I happened to be standing next to you amongst the sea of people, and I think I just said, like, what are you here for? <laughs> like, why? Yeah. Why are you here? Because you had a, I think you had an Airbnb. Yeah, they t-shirt gave, on. they gave us all Airbnb T-shirts. Okay. I love that shirt. <laughs> yeah, who who is they? The employees of Airbnb right. organizing yeah. and and informing the city of Chicago hosts um, what was happening. And tell us what was happening. Well, the city wanted to. I think it's normal to have regulations on this type of. This is new. It's new to the city. Mm-hmm. They were trying to regulate how. Airbnb hosts host and the regulations were really extreme and mm. for me personally it would have been a disaster it would have been a fucking nightmare right right I, I probably would have lost my house if if what they had presented had happened and been in play when I was a host I would have lost my house why would that have been detrimental to you specific like details well I was in the middle of a divorce um, which was super expensive. The guy that I was married to, he was being a prick and was forcing, maybe his attorney was being a prick. I don't know. Can a girl be a prick? Yeah. Yes. An attorney can. I, yeah, I'm sorry. I, anybody, I, I don't mean any, it. Anybody can be a prick. I have friends that are attorneys, so <laughs> I don't mean all attorneys are, are pricks, yeah. but it was rough. Everybody that I know that has gone through a divorce has mm-hmm. said, oh, it sucked, and this definitely sucked and it was just financially really really taxing he had more cash than I had it was sort of this race I don't know it just sucked but the reason why I was able like I still have my home I'm still doing okay one of the main reasons is Airbnb I was making extra money to help pay for my divorce and so part of those the regulation that was you know being proposed was limiting people renting I got the idea that you rent it as many days as possible out of the year. I list 365 days out of the year generally, um, unless I've got family or friends coming in, then I block the room. I have people there 80% of the time. They were recommending? 90 days. Like 90 days total? Yep. 
out of the entire year. And so you go from 300 odd days to 90 and this is your main source of income. Yeah, it was my main source of yeah, income. Yeah, that presents a serious problem a if you problem. the way of life. I didn't realize that there was kind of like this downstream effect. It affected the neighborhood, but there was a, a contingent of homeless representatives say, okay, this is affecting affordability of housing in certain neighborhoods, and this is also affecting those that are earning. I hadn't really thought of 33. I've used Airbnb and well, lots of places and even in foreign countries. And I just never thought of how that impacted the neighborhood. And one of the things that when I was talking to you, you actually had a healthy appreciation for all sides. But you were like, well, let me tell you my side. I understand that it can raise the prices of rent. That mm -hmm. is, if you have, say you have an apartment building and you have 10 units in it and you furnish all of them and you list them all on Airbnb, you are going to make more money than if you have regular tenants in yep, there. No doubt. But honestly, I look at that and the t just turning over a room is work. And to really be a good host and to be part of the Airbnb experience, you kind of have to be there. You're leaving a key for a space that's sanitarily, surgically clean and, and with no real thought or home behind it, you know, sort of feeling behind it. I don't know. I think that's just, it is a business, but it just seems like that's just a moneymaker, you know. And to me, that's not the Airbnb experience that... First of all, Airbnb is trying to promote, okay? We're all trying to promote our city. We're trying to promote our neighborhoods. We're trying to give people options that are not the super high-end hotel or the very, very expensive hotel that kind of sucks regardless. For me personally, I think that's all I do now is I stay at Airbnbs. A hotel is great if you want to be catered to, but you can also be catered to if you're staying in someone's yeah. home. You were not making money for discretionary. You were, this is survival. I get the guy that owns the 10-unit building, and he's renting it out on Airbnb and is making more money than if he would have regular tenants. I get, I get why the city would be cautious of that and would want to regulate that. I understand that. I mean, I would want it regulated because people need to have affordable housing, need to be able to have an apartment that they can actually afford. And right. a monthly rental on Airbnb is going to be probably twice in my neighborhood or in, in my house twice than yep. what I would have, you know, if I had tenants. That's beneficial for me, but it's also, if it's just for that, it's not a good, it's not yeah. a good situation. I think there's a way to find balance between people that are hosting in their homes because they need that extra cash and the people that are using it really to just rake in the cash. That's, there's a yeah. big difference between raking it in and having a little extra. Those recommendations and regulations that they did put in place. And they also, the city also wanted some money, right? They wanted to tax you all like hotels. Oh yeah. But, but how are those recommendations going right now? It hasn't been passed yet. Yeah. It hasn't even come into play because apparently um, I just got a call a couple of weeks ago from someone from Airbnb saying we all have to register with the city, which I already went online and, you know, started to do my registration. And, and they said, you don't have to worry about it because one of the hosts is suing the city. And I'm not sure why or what it's for, but it's blocking the implementation mm -hmm. of the regulation. So. Is there a part of you that does want it to be regulated a little bit so there aren't people that are like just wild, wild west out here being, you know, cowboys? Yeah. I think in order for it to benefit the city as well as the organization as well as the neighborhoods, right. I think not craziness, what the city was proposing, I thought that was a little outrageous, but 
as long as it it facilitates people hosting and facilitates people being guests i think that's great so you got into airbnb like you said it was a shitty situation there's a lawyer being a prick. <laughs> everybody knows about divorce, but everybody I talk to that's going through it or known someone, it's expensive, it's time-consuming, it's stressful, and it's very emotional. And so you got into doing the Airbnb because of that situation. So like, what what went down? Like like that that what what happened? My ex-husband and I had gutted and renovated our house to have kids. We had all these rooms, and we didn't have the kids for it, and we didn't have the kids, and then we didn't have the kids, and he ended up leaving the city for work, and he was in and out, and we had this house with all these rooms and no kids, so the contractor that we hired stole $60,000 of borrowed money in the middle of our renovation. This was way before anything was kind of amok with a marriage, and so it kind of turned into this crazy, no drywall Plumbing, electric, and should I even say this? City of Chicago is pretty corrupt when it comes to like building permits and inspectors. And not now, back when we were doing this was over 10 years ago. There was an investigation actually after that, after we did our construction. There was an investigation into like the city inspectors and who was paying them off, like how that it was. If you didn't know what you were doing, you got yeah, screwed. It wasn't basically. transparent. You can pay expediters to get your permits quicker. And yeah. Like, is that a real expediter what does that mean and the inspectors come in and they say oh you need to do this and you pay them and then the next guy comes in and said that guy didn't doesn't know what he's talking about and then you end up fixing something that didn't need to be it was just it's just ridiculous anyhow ended up with this lovely home with four rooms and I ended up getting roommates because my husband was in and out of town and then he basically stayed out of town and decided he didn't want to get married. He didn't want to be married anymore. He didn't want kids. And this is right. We were doing fertility treatment at the time. So he gets this, another job, a job somewhere else. I'm I'm assuming outside of the state. Outside of the state. And you all are making it work, but then you also have this house that you previously in the past had had this issue with. You're living in it and you're doing, and then you just get a phone call and it's like, or over time, I'm kind of like enjoying my new life. And uh, I don't, I don't really want to go down that path anymore with you. That's while right. you're in process to have a child. That's correct. These fertility treatments is no, they're they're no joke. They suck. They change your life. People don't talk about it, but it really does. It right. does suck. You know, it's the goal is there, and that's what keeps you going. But the process is really. I mean, I did two and a half years towards the end of my career. I was the last two year and a half that I was dancing. I was in fertility treatment. You were a elite, high-level dancer. Yes. Wow. That, just the injections, the drugs, the hormones, this is what I wanted. I wanted a family. Yeah. You're executing a game plan that you agree with this person, your spouse. That's and then, right. And then you get the, the... It was a phone call. I came out of surgery. With with fertility treatment, if you're doing IVF, with it, which is in vitro, you go in and they take your eggs out of your ovaries. Mm-hmm. That's a surgical procedure where you are put under. So you can't drive there. So he's out of town, and my friend is driving me and picking me up. And you have to sit. You know, it's surgery, so you have to recover for the rest of the day. And your anesthesia isn't the most pleasant thing to recover from either. So, you know, you're a little out of it. And I got that call when I was a little out of it. And I was just, I thought I was dreaming. I thought I was, I was like, what the fuck is happening right now? Just basically 
don't, don't fertilize that egg. I'm like, what? What do you mean? Don't fertilize the egg. What? Huh? Like, I just. Whoa. whoa. Excuse me? <laughs> what? 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 Wait, I, well, person knew you were doing that that day. Yeah. And that was the moment. He had some doubts before, but then told me he it was just cold feet and he was fine. I was like, are you sure? Are you 100% sure? Because I don't want to go into the surgery unless you are absolutely positive you want to do this. This was like after several tries. It wasn't like our first time doing IVF. I was getting hearing doubts. So I was like, all right, you know, let's talk about this before I go under and, you know, have somebody take my eggs out of my ovaries. Let's let's just wait a second, you know, have a little conversation. And we did. And he said he was fine. And then after the surgery, he said he wasn't. Then it just fucking rolled, you know, snowballed from there very fast, very quickly, just downhill. Because it's one thing to say, I don't think I want to have children. Yeah. But then it's like, it's the whole shebang. Yeah, it was, I don't want to be married. I don't want kids. I'm done. And I thought, okay, we need to work this out. Let's, and you know, there was some talking for about a month or so. And so in between, then you never saw each other. You just talked on the phone. No, we just talked on the phone. He did not. I was supposed to go visit. I was supposed to go down to where he was living and he did not want me to go. He didn't want me there. He said, I need time. That almost seems, you know, kind of lacking some kind of courage. What do you mean seems? It absolutely (laughs) lacked courage. I've always felt that. Being upfront and honest, if you're in a relationship, is the most important thing. If you are not happy, why the fuck are you going to stay in this relationship? Why are you going to wishy-washy bullshit? Yeah. Why, why aren't you going to just say, hey, I this is what's going on right now? Do you think you would have been receptive to that straight Absolutely. talk? Yes, of course. I, I actually asked those questions. Hey, are you happy? So so there were, there were two months of, I need some time. There's You seem like... Okay, let's talk about it. You know, you don't want to talk in person. Let's talk about it. So you did that. You got to a point you had to be like, fuck this. Yeah, (laughs) I did. There was a moment, a very strong, definite, defining moment that I said, fuck this. I'm done. I'm going home. I actually ended up going down there and I went home and we actually still tried to do a collaborative bullshit. He was lying to me and... I don't do well with that. So I don't know. Why is honesty so difficult? Why is it so Hmm. challenging for people to accomplish? I don't understand that. You got fed up. You're like, we need to talk in person. You go down there. His behavior is probably reconciled to what you think is happening, which is he could be living this whole other life, right? And not being honest about like, hey, I got this whole other life. I've literally moved on. And he's just without not, telling me without about te- it. Without telling you about it. And <laughs> God, did I feel like an idiot? <laughs> I think to answer your question, I think some people can't be honest because if, if they say it out loud, then they know that then they're the evil person. But if they keep it to themselves, they have it in their head that like, oh, okay, it was this is a little bit on her too. I think regardless, in in a situation like that, it's it takes two, absolutely. Yeah. But I'm naive, I guess, in a way that. I didn't see it coming because that was a long time coming. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. Shit like that doesn't happen, you know, like like this. Yeah. You know, it's your But then when you look back, you probably like, oh, yeah, there were course. there were signs. Oh, I saw, you know, I saw yeah. this and I saw yeah. I saw that and when he moved away, it was his thing. That was still you all's thing. You had a property here. My mom had passed a year before. 
a year and a half before and we bought property in Chicago and we bought, we bought property where he was working to, I basically put all of my inheritance money in property. You throw on your body into the relationship with the kid, my you all, financial uh-huh. into this. You, you have two places, one for you because you work here and you have this amazing job here as a dancer. He's working wherever and you all get a place. You go down there, you track him down and he has a whole other life. Pretty much. And it in your shit. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I had just retired and we were doing the fertility treatment. Yep. I'm an older mother, so mm-hmm. staying here in Chicago where there's a plethora of excellent health care for women like me mm-hmm. um, was to me the logical explanation and right. a logical decision to stay until the baby was born you know we we're gonna right. have this baby and it's funny things don't ever happen how you plan but and then move wherever he was working because I was making a career tan- transition I was finished with my dance career that wasn't enough that wasn't it was unacceptable for him he felt like that decision my decision I guess that was my decision I thought it was our decision but he made it clear to me that it, that was my decision to stay in Chicago and not go with him that's the projecting it's yeah. your fault because you didn't come here sooner yeah. or whatever mm-hmm. and maybe it is and maybe that's yeah. true but the lying part isn't no that's 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 <laughs> so, nobody but you know and some people some people make. justify like oh where I did it because I wanted to protect you and like no, we've been we've been doing no, this. No, he for, did it because he wanted to keep. Oh. He wanted the money. He wanted. That's not protecting anybody. You go down there, you see this other life, and you like that's that's it. You like you know what? I would fight for some things, but I'm not fighting for this. Mm-hmm. You go back, and then you you probably have a realization. You know, correct me if I'm wrong. They're like, okay, now I need to I need to, I need to exit out of this. And then it's like, oh shit, exiting <laughs> is going to break me. <laughs> yeah. I was emotionally a lot broken. I really was. I was completely blindsided. I mean, we had just bought this this house Mm -hmm. that he had his new life in. We closed on it in May. We moved half of our stuff from Chicago into that house in June. And I found the new life in August. Okay. So I don't know what the fuck was going on before that or after or whatever, but it sounds too planned out. Planned out timeline wise, like if it would have been longer than you know, I would have understood. Right, would have been more open to understanding and Mm -hmm. being a little bit more receptive to uh, what was happening. But it it just was really very sudden. You come back to this this beautiful city, and then now you realize not only am I going to be emotionally broken, I'm going to be broke. That's right. You start the process. What is the, the the next step for you? Was what? Aside from freaking out every day, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was okay. I had roommates at the time. I had three roommates, I think, if I remember correctly. I had three. You, when you're freaking out every day, you lose your memory of those days because you're. I think you need to forget. <laughs> I had roommates at the time, and as each roommate was moving out, I was starting to Airbnb the rooms, which was giving me more. F- more income and I basically ended up Airbnb being all the rooms at one point I had to borrow money from friends I mean this wasn't you know oh Airbnb paid for my divorce Airbnb helped me stay in my home and is still helping me pay for my divorce because I'm still paying friends off and it's I've been divorced a year and a half already and it was a two and a half year process 
still paying it off. Yeah. But thank you, Airbnb, because of that. <laughs> so you come back and you're just like, I got to call a lawyer. And then they probably started dropping some numbers on you, right? Yeah, it scared the shit out of me. <laughs> yeah. And then it, ter- it turned out to be higher than expected because of like their... Prickiness. Yeah, prickiness. Right. <laughs> I have a really good story about... Go ahead. Pricks. But it's a ballet story, so. People have heard me, heard us talking about you being a dancer. Is the correct term ballerina? Yeah, I was a ballerina. What's the ballet prickiness story? Now I've started teaching ballet to Mm -hmm. younger children, Mm -hmm. which at one point in my life, not too long ago, terrified me. But anyhow, I was teaching 10-year-olds. And there's a step in in ballet, it's called piquet. You point your foot out on the floor, and there's two different kinds, but I was teaching them a piquet where you point your foot out on the floor, and you you touch your foot on the floor, and you pick it up really fast. So the kids are there, and they're like, and they're slouched over, and they're holding onto the bar, and their faces are like, uh, I don't want to be here. And <laughs> I'm giving the piquets are fast. They're like, ding, 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 ding. You know, they get like, mm-hmm. it's a very quick tempo, you mm-hmm. know? So you're giving them, and I'm giving the piquets, and I'm like, Start the, I stop the music. I'm like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> and they say, I said, what, what does PK mean? All of them raise their hands. I pick one. I said, what does it mean? She says, it means to prick. And I said, yes, it does. So I go, okay, so what does this look like to you? And I showed them how they were doing their PKs, like really lazy and soft and mm-hmm. not like this eight-year-old says to me, that looks like a lazy prick to me. <laughs> I'm sorry. (laughs) I had no, I was laughing so much inside, but couldn't laugh at that because then they would wonder why Miss Valerie is it, you know, I'm actually beginning to like the eight year olds. (laughs) Nice, nice, nice. Kids will say the darndest thing. Yes, they will. (laughs) They really oversimplify things. And sometimes it's like, yeah. It was a lazy prick. <laughs> it was. Okay, it really was. <laughs> she she called it. She totally yeah. called it. Tell me about that, like your mindset when you're talking to the lawyer and like surviving what we deem this prickiness, like what that feels like emotionally and like day to day and going through that. You know what I did too at the time? I started yoga teacher training certification, which I think also that helped me emotionally. I I really did feel pretty desperate. And I I did feel like I was going to lose everything. I felt like I had lost everything that was my life because my husband had left me. It coincided with a lot of loss in my life. He was just sort of the icing on the cake. I'd lost my mom a year and a half before. I had finished my career, a career that lasted 26 years. And dancers put a lot into their careers. It's almost a narcissistic amount of effort. We kind of have to be, I guess, in a way, to be as perfect as you can be. Anybody that performs at like a really elite level, the the narcissism is off the charts. And I think it stems from, one, there's a competition, and they look at it as as art, and they want to make it as beautiful and as perfect as possible. And you know, and I know, nothing will ever be perfect nope. but these people including yourself right push themselves to get there and you could get the la- largest standing ovation and you would still be like oh i really i was teaching these girls pks and i, I missed it by yeah a quarter of a second you know like it, i held it to like something yeah. and i find that to be at that level you almost have to have that edge you do but to lose that 
but not to lose it. You you know, you retire, you got to a certain place, you move on, and you, like you said, you have all this loss. I can totally see how that would just be. It's a loss of a world that yes. you're yeah. used to. Yeah. When I think about it, it really wasn't loss. It was gain. I was gaining, like, I was gaining life because I didn't lose my career, but I lost my daily interaction with art and mm-hmm. with regardless of all the drama and all the bullshit that can happen in a dance company, it still is a passionate, there's a reason why most everyone is there. They fight, they bitch, they moan, all dancers bitch and moan. But in the end, you're creating something. Mm -hmm. Everybody has their own issues. There's a a strong narcissism, but there's also strong insecurity going on at the same time. It's this constant, like, weird. To go there every day and look at yourself in the mirror, you have to have some sort of narcissism going on. If I lost something, like, if I retired, even if, you know, I had a long career like you did, you got to replace it and you usually spend time with your partner. I'm going to throw myself into this or I'm going to reconnect (laughs) or a baby or I'm going to reconnect with my my family that have made all these sacrifices for me. So then your mom, so you have these three major losses. I just can't imagine like, okay, well, what do you fill it with? What sort of sustained me, Airbnb sustained me financially. And I would say emotionally too, because I was getting a chance to meet so many different people from different cultures Mm -hmm. and different just backgrounds and and perspectives. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I would mention, you know, I'm going through a divorce and I've had conversations with Airbnb guests about that kind of loss and about the divorce thing. Mm And I mean, not really conversation where I just sit, I said, Oh, I'm having a divorce. And then they just start talking. It was really good for me emotionally Mm -hmm. to hear another person who's going through the same thing I'm going through or has gone through or just has a different perspective than how I was right. feeling completely destroyed. I felt right. completely destroyed. Right. I felt right. like I absolutely, I didn't have my career. I didn't have my fa- my family anymore. Mm-hmm. My sister, after my mother died, my sister and I became estranged. We, we had a huge, you know, and that happens too, apparently after death. I didn't know that. I mean, there was all this stuff that, life stuff that happened yeah. after I stopped the fairy tale of being a ballerina and a tutu and a tiara you know it was like hmm. this sort of <laughs> yeah, hardcore like, you, like this yeah. is reality <laughs> yes yeah, it's, it's literally like you took the you took the tiara <laughs> off and then like the carriage turned back into a pumpkin that's right you know, like real real life you know took over but and, i made soup <laughs> <laughs> really good soup <laughs> you, you figure out that airbnb is not only just a financial relief but it, it gave you an opportunity to really connect with people because you Mm -hmm. want to be a great hostess so you wanted to have children or a child with this individual that's right when you exited from that equation most people would say the you know logical is like all right i'm about to be broke (laughs) um the dude is gone he's out of the picture well i don't know if i can do that anymore because i'm broke i don't have a partner Mm -hmm. you took the complete opposite approach yeah that's because i just don't believe that i i guess i was i dug my heels in and Mm -hmm. was like no man is gonna just dictate my life right (laughs) you know stop my life dream of having a family Mm -hmm. you know why should he make that decision for me yeah he made it for himself that's fine but he made it for me too and i i didn't think that was right you're like you know you wanted to do this and you're like and one of your moments like i'm just gonna go to the college bar yeah I did. I that, that thought a- went through my head. Um, I decided that I was still going to have a baby, mm-hmm. regardless of this man who 
is it felt like he was attempting to destroy my life. He had already destroyed it by just trying to. It was the big fight with with the inheritance and all yeah. that. But he took away my chance in my mind. He took away my chance to have a kid. So I went to the fertility center and told them, "Hey, look, you know, my husband doesn't want to have kids." And they would, whoa, hang on a second. We can't continue fertility treatment with you. The state of Illinois doesn't allow women to do fertility treatment unless their husband gives them permission. And since he doesn't want kids, you have to get these documents signed. And then you can start basically releasing... Basically, my ex-husband, or my husband at the time, who was, who was leaving, had to sign a document allowing me to do fertility treatment. That is a law in the state of Illinois. The divorce judge was like, what? What? It's <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, you might want to look that one up. And yeah. I understand because of... Parental rights. Parental and- rights and paternity, you know, all of that stuff. But bottom line is, in my particular situation, it was stopping my fertility treatment at an advanced age. I was over 40 trying to have a baby. And so every month counted at the time. It really did. He wouldn't sign the document for nine months. He blocked me for nine months. At this point, I was totally frantic. And I did. I was like, well, maybe if I just go to the college bar. Yeah. <laughs> Ask him, what's the IQ? Yeah. What's your, you're, you're, you're cute. What's your IQ? <laughs> you know, I was like desperate for sperm. <laughs> can, can you give me some baby batter? Yeah. <laughs> like, do you think that's hot? <laughs> I mean, you know, it's just like this yeah. craziness. I, I did. I went. I, I went online and I, I got a sperm, an anonymous sperm donor. I found one. There's ways to do that. So out of state and all of that. So my ex husband finally signed the documents. Sometimes I wonder if he was being malicious or he was just being dumb. I go between the two of like he had malicious intent or he was just really stupid. Based on just sitting here, dude's not dumb. He thought some things through. I'm going to remove dumb from the equation. Okay. Right? Yeah. So, and maybe that's adding fuel to the fire, but maybe this thing needs fire so we can just, you know, you know, burn it up, but I'm going to remove dumb for you. Right? Yeah. You went through. You executed. I did. What's the child situation look like now? I have a three and a half month old son. Wow. And he's amazing. Okay. And I'm blessed and lucky. Everything you went through, even after all that, does having this beautiful kid just wash that stuff away? It doesn't wash it away. But I think all of our experiences create us as human beings. Mm-hmm. I feel like I, I I was hurt. I was I went through a lot of crap, you know, mm-hmm. and maybe more than some people and less than others. But it still formed me, who I am today up to now, mm-hmm. you know, and tomorrow if something happens or my experiences tomorrow will, will keep me growing as a human being. Having this baby doesn't wash that shit away. I remind myself of what people are capable of with my experience. I don't want to wash it away. I've let it go. It's there to remind me, and it's on a shelf, to remind me that there are people out there that that are shitty. And to be not not beware, but just be aware. And maybe I was naive and try and remember, okay, well, could I use my knowledge of how I reacted or what I did or what my choices were to make either better choices mm. or keep my strength or keep my faith in, in my future and the mm. future of my son. 
I think we, we make choices in moments and then either we regret them or we don't, but it doesn't matter. You made those choices and, and then you just have to like move on and mm-hmm. use that as your, as your base or your, your yeah. platform from which right. you are you. Do you ever think about, I have to make sure that some of these lessons that I learned, I have to pass them on to this, to this man, knowing that my son, this boy will be a man knowing that the type of world we live in, whether it's fair or not, a lot of times it's a, it's a male dominated world. Like I have to pass some of these things on. Do you think about that? I want to see how he grows up and I, I, w- I want to do my best. I think that's all I can do. I actually have thought about that. Like, Oh gosh, am I going to tell my, my kid the story of before he was born and all of that stuff? Mm-hmm. Like, am I going to tell him all of that shit? Maybe when he's a little older, I might, Definitely. if it's even relevant. It may not be relevant to him, but it's relevant. It's probably relevant to him understanding who his mom is. Does that make sense? That's true. There might be some, some moments yeah. that might trigger me in that way. I feel like there are a lot of other things in my life and a lot of other people in mm-hmm. my life mm-hmm. that have shaped me more so than this person I, it's my choice to mm. devalue this person. The situation yeah. and the way I reacted and the way uh, the choices I made mm-hmm. from that, that's what's shaping me. I choose to give this person as the yeah. least amount of value possible. <laughs> Growing up, my dad was not in my life. And my mom gave me the opportunity. She said, I don't know, I think I was 10 or 11. Way too early to be making this decision. She said, do you want your dad to be in your life? Right? He was. I think he had just gotten out of prison. So, do you want him to be in your life or not? And I said no. And like you just said, I made I made a point of taking ownership of that and saying devaluing what that person was to me. Saying in the future, I don't want to even have any expectation of that person being in my life. Now I look back, it's probably too young. That's just how my mom raised me. Just what do you, what do you want to do? These are the consequences. She let me make my own decisions. But to that point, even though my dad wasn't in my life, he had an impact on my life. So if like if I'm right. doing something, I'm like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> you know, right, because, like I know yes. that's bad. I'm gonna do this. Right. You know, I'm gonna try to do this, and I'm gonna be engaged. I'm gonna go to every doctor's appointment. I would hear my friends like, "Oh, my dad was doing this. Oh, my dad was doing that." And I remember absence of right. a person in that. Triggers. Know, yeah, that stuck out to me. I was like, yeah. no, I'm going to go to every appointment. You know, my wife was like, oh, we're just taking the, the we're doing the, the diabetes test. And I'm like, oh, I'll come there and sit there and watch you do that for two two hours. And those those experiences, they, they do shape you. But bad stuff can lead to good things, too. I agree. You, you know what I mean? Yeah, and, absolutely. And, and then the other thing is. I was like a dad or mom's worst nightmare. You know, I was an honor roll student. I was a good athlete. I said all the right things. The girls I dated, they liked me, you know, in, in grade school, <laughs> high school, whatever. Yeah. And I was a boy, you know. Yeah. But I, I was cloaked in, like, all these good things. And, and so I get older. Guess what? I get two girls. And I'm sitting here going, oh, this is, this is a gift. This is a gift. <laughs> But if, whatever you believe in, like God, Allah, something, s- someone is trying to teach me some some lesson here. And it, you learn them very quickly. Like my daughters are amazing. They're awesome. But the things I do, if I'm playing with them and I'm tickling them and things like that, you know, it's fun and it's funny. But as soon as they say no, I stop. 
even if it's I'm just like I stop because I'm like I I want my daughters to know that when they 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 own their bodies, they own, and growing up, like something that small wouldn't trigger anything in me. But now having girls, like something like that, is like I need them to know that no means no. They own yeah. their bodies. I'm their dad. I'm not their friend. But I still want them to know that they have ownership of their bodies, even over me. Like as they're you know, as long as it's not a safety issue, like right, right. You know, yeah. and, but it, it's it's interesting how things like that happen. Like my eyes are way more wide open to to women's issues, and I I, I was raised by like seven women. You know, I thought I, I thought I had it down. <laughs> you know? And then you have two girls, and then you have and two, daughters. Yeah, you have two girls, and it's like, oh, this is such a blessing. But oh man, this is this is very 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 different. So what's next? I'm teaching. I enjoy teaching. Yeah. I always have. At one point in my career, I, I enjoyed teaching more than I enjoyed performing. Mm-hmm. That was the self-conscious sort of bad body image. Every cliche about dancer, every mm-hmm. negative cliche you can think of, yeah. that was me. I, it's so weird because I look back on photographs of myself and I, I was just, I hated my body. I hated myself. And I look back at pictures and I'm like, what was I thinking? <laughs> yeah. So stupid. Yeah. I've seen, but, I've seen <laughs> in my, in my limited amounts of research, I've seen pictures of you and that thought doesn't make sense, but I, I, I do understand and respect like how people think about their themselves and the, the body image stuff. But I saw pictures, I saw grace, I saw power, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, yes. and then, and then some of the clips you just watch dancers in general, how much power you all generate with these bodies in such a short amount of time. It's quick. It's athletic. Part of the research, my wife and I, we went to the, uh, actually I took my daughter to the ballet. Oh, you did? Yeah. And it was, it was amazing. You know, and I was just, I was sitting there in awe and she was having a great time, but I, I just couldn't believe because I, it was my first time going, oh, the, okay. it was my first time going to the ballet. I love sports. And I was sitting here thinking like, I've been missing out on one, like one of the great athletic feats yeah, I in mean, the world. Dancers are athletes. They're they are, and it happens to be very beautiful. You're a performer at what some people might call one of the best dance companies in the world. Now you're teaching. You have that in your background. Do people swarm to you and say, "Oh, this person's done this. I, I really want to take lessons from this person." I don't know. I mean, sometimes I'll, I'll get something like that, but I see so much of that unhealthy body image and mentality of just negativity in the dance world. It's like when I teach a class, I see that in everybody, a little bit of it, some more than others. Mm -hmm. You need this sort of self-criticism, a constant self-criticism in order to be better. You have to have that. Otherwise, if you think you're the shit, then you're you will be shit. It's like you have to find the balance. But I feel like especially in teenage girls, I see a lot of this sort of the same insecurities that I felt feeling ugly, feeling fat all the time. I mean, I was told all the time that I was heavy, too heavy, too fat, fat. I was fat, fat. When you were actively dancing? Actively as a dancer. Actively my entire career, there was always that on my, on my head. Mm -hmm. Always. Because I'm tall. I'm a, I'm a big girl. I'm a big girl for ballerina. I had a partner who was six foot six and we looked great together on stage mm-hmm. we, we matched I don't know why I felt that way I don't know why mm-hmm. I felt like a big girl and I see that same 
just crazy. That's crazy. That is just crazy cakes. Now I'm teaching these beautiful dancers. I teach men too. And they're the same way. They do the same thing to themselves. All dancers do the same thing to themselves yeah. in the studio. There's self-criticizing, constant. You can see the negativity. And mm-hmm. so I take my experience from being a dancer and having, I had a lot of different amazing teachers. And I, what I try and do is just pull from everything that I was taught and bring it forth. And so I feel like I don't get this like starstruck thing because I really try and bring it down to earth and real. And I tell little stories here and there and I don't get that like, ah, you're the, the ballerina, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. I don't think so. Maybe I do, and it's just not, I don't see it. But I prefer it not to be that. I prefer people to feel like they can trust me. I'm there to help them. You know, as a teacher, that's what you want to do is help someone learn and help someone improve. Is the the ballet scene in Chicago outside of the dance company, is that thriving there's an amazing dance scene in chicago and it's not just ballet it's 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 dance just general i love the dance scene in chicago it's huge and Mm -hmm. amazing the people i work with now i love them and i work in different places the dance world is small in general like you you'll meet someone that knows so and so from so and so right like you just it, the connection is like six degrees of separation mm-hmm. you're like you've yeah. met someone halfway around the world my oldest was dancing she is dancing she loves it she loves ballet it allows her to be dramatic and two hours before you got here she was floating around the room dancing Aww, to troll and <laughs> we had her in one it was very intense and very serious if she wants to do this seriously do this we can always go back to that studio but we're going to go where it's more, a little bit less intense. The one place, I want to mention the name, they had a show, but then they had their elite dancers. And the show was for the elite dancers, and they just plugged in the other kids oh. in between each one. It just didn't feel right. It was the, the dance mom thing going on. But there were like 80 other kids that have this other experience where they're just have, have, trying to have fun. Like they're three-year-olds, you know. We put her in a different place, and she's taken to it, and she really loves it. And if she indicates to us or conveys to us that she wants to take the next step up, we will put her in, not that place, because it was a little crazy, but in a place like that. The point I'm making is I like that there are varying degrees and levels of intensity for my daughter to get involved in and still have a positive experience and learn the fundamentals and the basics. Like the fact that she's dancing around, just yeah. around that means she's lo- she loves it she yeah. she likes it will she be great i don't know so that's my little peek into the the scenes is are there events where people from around the city get together i don't know what's happening chicago dancing festival it's actually a free event for the city of chicago they bring in different companies from around the country and local groups as well that's in the summertime usually in august there's also dance for life which is an event that all of the different companies and organizations get together, and it's an AIDS benefit. When I first came to Chicago, there were a lot of collaborations between the dance companies, like certain members, you know, we'd get together and we put a program together outside of our season. I got a chance to dance with some amazing dancers from Hubbard Street on the same stage as them. And I was like, oh my God. I was like that starstruck. I was like, oh, I'm like, ah. like all excited, you know, doing new work with dancers that you admire from the audience. So it was, it kind of slowed down a little bit. I think four or five years into it, those projects weren't as, as common, but. You came to Chicago to dance? 
I auditioned. We did the class with the number on it, the oh. whole bit. My husband to be, my who is now my ex husband, mm-hmm. the time he was a dancer as well. We both auditioned together. And we had just gone on vacation. We went to Mexico and sat on a beach and just drank margaritas and hung out on the beach. And the, the company had called me and said they needed a, a tall girl. Um, I had auditioned for them before. Years ago, actually, this is a funny story. I auditioned for them when I was 19, and they told me I was too tall and too fat. They just flat out said that? Pretty much. Wow. Okay. Yeah, you're too heavy and you're too tall. You're not right fit for this company. Almost 20 years later, I auditioned for them, and they offered me a contract. They were here in Chicago. They offered me a contract, but it was a seasonal contract, and I couldn't afford to move to Chicago on a seasonal contract. Seasonal contracts are like 12 weeks out of the year. The contracts usually start in August, and they go through the sort of kind of a school year contract Mm -hmm. between 35 and 50 weeks, depending on what what company you're in. So they had offered me that, and I said, you know what, I'm really sorry, but I, I can't. As much as I want to be in this company, I, I can't take this contract. The following year, they called me and said, we need a tall girl. I was like, well, damn. Talk about irony. Mm. <laughs> so they said, but we really need you to come audition. Can you come to the audition on this date? And I was like, oh, my God. In my mind, I was like, that's the day after our vacation. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> We're like, yeah. sure. <laughs> you know, on the phone, sure, we'll be we'll be there. And then I mentioned my soon to be husband, then ex husband. They they watch you, they sit at a table with everybody's resumes and they watch you take this class with your numbers and you know, your leotard and tights and basically taking notes on how you're performing in class. Mm-hmm. They called me up and the director at the time was an older gentleman. He's passed. He's the actual founder of the company. He looked at me and he, he was like, you're great, but you're heavy. Oh, wow. It's like, you need to lose some weight. And I said, yeah, you know, I just spent a week on the beach drinking margaritas. <laughs> That's what I said to him. Yeah. The people around him, you know, his entourage were like, you know, they like sat up really straight and like looked at me like crazy. Like, you don't say that. And he was like, hey, hey, hey. all right, baby, you know, like kind of <laughs> was like, go lose some weight. I was like, all right. <laughs> and they offered me a contract, but it was just, you know, it again, that thing at that point in, in my career, I was 30 at the time and I'd heard it a lot. And so I was able to take it. Yes, you're going to tell me I'm fat, but you called me. I'm tall. You need a tall girl. And I'm a good dancer. So here we are. Yes, I spent a week on the beach drinking margaritas and that's Mm. okay. You know, I'm not perfect. (laughs) Wow. You had auditioned with them before previously. Yeah, when I was 19 and they told me I was not the right fit. What were you doing in between? Like You were just dancing at other companies? Yeah, dancing at other companies. In in another city? Different state, uh, different city, a different country. I was in Germany and I had sort of built my career and then Mm. come back to this place where when I was 19 auditioning like right out of you know home I I get the sense that you were you were just confident and comfortable with what you had done in that 11 years you're like I know I'm great and you you either like this or you don't like this I really wanted the job and I was afraid I I wasn't gonna get it but I also again it goes back to that honesty thing I guess here Mm -hmm. I am this is what it is if you feel like you can work with this, I'm going to work hard. It's just genuine. You, you were doing that for like 10 years, right? I was in that company for for 13 years. Is it every year it's it's you a renewed? renewed, yeah. Okay. So there's always the risk of losing your job every yeah. year. That'll create a, 
a type of situation. That'll keep you skinny. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't go there. Just I didn't get there. I, I tell that story to young girls too sometimes. It's it's my like rejection story. When I say, you know, if you're getting a no, it's going to turn into a yes. You know, it just, it, sometimes it's timing. Sometimes it's fitting a, a specific mold. Who wants to do that? But you're going to have to in the dance world. What you're saying though is now it's changing. Like the taller, the leaner is in, the yeah. super athletic looking is in. Because I know... You know, I look at Misty Copeland. She doesn't look like your traditional ballerina. No, she's and, gorgeous. Yeah, yeah, has grace and power and athleticism. The takeaway for me in listening to this is, one, we talked about courage before. I think you have a lot of courage. I mean, that should be celebrated. I also think you've had many redemption stories because a lot of people could have been like, I'm out. nope, I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm out. I'm not doing that anymore. I really want this, but it's not going to work. And you literally said, I'm not letting someone else's poor decisions define me. Deeper Dish is hosted by Farah and Hank. Intro, mixing, editing is done by Alyssa Moxley. Produced by me, Farah. Our outro was performed by From Beyond These Walls, and the song is City of Dystopia. If you want to contact us directly, feel free to contact us at deeperdishshy at gmail.com or on Twitter. Our handle is at deeperdishshy. Our website is www.deeperdishshy.com. Thank you all for listening. I really appreciate everybody that's listening to this podcast.